Hey everyone, this is Lynn Bartim, and you are listening to the Apex Hour on KSUU Thunder 91.1. In this show, you get more personal time with the guests who visit Southern Utah University from all over, learning more about their stories and opinions beyond their presentations on stage. We will also give you some new music to listen to and hope to turn you on to some new sounds and new genres. You can find us here every Thursday at 3 p.m. or on the web at seu.edu slash apex. But for now, welcome to this week's show here on Thunder 91.1. Okay, welcome into the Apex Hour, everyone. Um, as you know, I am Lynn Vartan, and man, have we, I feel like I, I do say this every week, but this week I mean it even more than others. I am here with, I, I, we are affectionately, officially calling you KP because we are friends now, I think. Yes, we are. <laughs> but Kirsten Pleve is in the house, and um, she gave a talk today all about, particularly about the lessons that she learned from her time as being a ranger in Africa. But welcome into the studio, KP. Thank you so much, Lynn. It's such a pleasure to have you here. Um, and just a little bit of background for our guests. I mean, the great circle, the great network that Apex is becoming is something that I'm so proud of. And um, those of you who are listening or have been fans of the podcast may remember uh, Dr. Bertice Berry, who was uh, here with us last April and had such a good time. And we connected on stage together so well. But she was the one who said, you have to have Kirsten come. So the international global circle of Apex events is expanding. So we are here welcoming welcoming Kirsten from Germany. And I'd love to just start by having you tell our listeners, listeners a bit about your history and who you are. Well, first of all, let me say how happy I am to be here. Yay. You know, it's a long travel from Germany to Utah. But I love every minute of it. I loved it. I love being in America. I love spending time here. It's not enough. I have to leave tonight, unfortunately. But I will be back, hopefully. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure. I mean, my history is I defined myself as an entrepreneur all my life, although I just had my first business when I was 18. So wow. there was a life before I was 18. <laughs> but I really feel that my... The happiest times in my life were one in my childhood when I lived as a child in Africa, in South Africa. And then when I had the chance to work with so many great people during my career with Olympic athletes and top politicians and corporate leaders, and I was able to help them along their way. At least they said so, (laughs) which is always good. I am sure you helped them. You've helped us already today. So I am... What can I say? I'm just, I'm just, I'm just me. <laughs> now, you have always had quite an affection for the United States. And I was quite shocked to, to hear that. Tell us a little bit about how that, that's just always been there or something that came and developed. What, how did that come about? I had no clue where it came from when I was young, but I always had it. I mean, before I finished um, high school, I said, as soon as I'm done here, I'm going to America. So (laughs) always. And my family was not very 
America oriented. I, they loved traveling and loved seeing the world, but there was not as such a, I was like a fan. I had, you know, the American flag in my bedroom. I still have that, by the way, not in the bedroom, but on the <laughs> terrace of our house. And, um, so I didn't know where it came from. And it was just later on that I learned that some of my roots are in America, actually, and some of my family lives here, which didn't surprise me at all. Yeah. And I think at the, as a child, I had the talent, which I lost later on as an adult for some time. I got it back, thankfully. <laughs> but as a child, I had the talent to listen to an inner voice kind of thing. Right. So I knew that I love America. I knew that I want to go there and I just did it. And in my business and my hectic times of my career, I somehow lost that connection with understanding what I really want and what my passion is. But thank goodness you get clues from life like I did. And then we're going to talk about that. I know. Yeah. But sometimes life helps you and then you just need to listen, open the door and go through. Do you know, was it any one thing? I mean, was it the, the fashion or the culture or was it the, the sense of freedom or the audacity? I mean, was it anything in particular about the U.S. or was it just that it was over there and foreign in a way? Mainly, I think it was the feeling of freedom mm. um, the and the positivity of the American people about new ideas, whatever you think, everybody would be like, oh my God, that sounds great. Why don't you do it, do it, go for it. You know, the Germans are very, um, you know, careful in their judgment and slow and very detail-oriented, um, especially to they're not as open to new ideas. And mm -hmm. I think we urgently need new ideas and new leadership. So I felt just very home with the sort of the cultural setting and this is also what makes me a bit sad today that I feel that the American people are just so caught up in political fights against one another instead of, you know, talking and sharing. And this is what, for me, the American spirit and the American um, story is. But uh, I mean, times change. So I guess when politics change or when people have the audacity to, you know, not to step back from democracy and, and, and not go vote, but in, in the opposite, you know, reach out and talk to the friends and talk to neighbors, no matter of whatever their political background is, and just say, you know, we're all in this American dream and we want to make it happen. So we have to find solutions and not, you know, blame one another on stupid things. Exactly. And you've really dealt with that firsthand being in the political arena for so many years. Can you talk a little bit about that history and, and you were a part of different projects and campaigns and, and what that time period was like for you? For me, that time period was very exciting. I had um, covered, I was with a German TV station besides my job as a political analyst. And I had the opportunity to um, be with three campaigns, the Bush campaign, the two Obama campaigns, and then um, the Hillary Clinton campaign. And I covered that and analyzed that for a German TV station. And I loved doing that because you sort of get into the background of things. And since my own company was, you know, advising political parties on, you know, strategies of, you know, voter turnout and those kind of things, I just learned so much and I met just so many people just across many, many states. And I was just, since I was in love with America anyways, for me, it was just such a deep experience of diversity across uh, the states. So 
um, I just love the time. And when um, the last election results came in, I was in a German TV studio and realized really for the first time in sort of an intense moment of clarity how much um, the society and the media world had changed because nobody expected um, this uh, result yeah. of, the, of the election in Europe and um, also how the media played out to be in this election. It was in, in many phases shocking for me. So I thought this is not what politics should be about, you know, with yeah. uh, with fake news that are bought and with robots and all those things. So I... I do have a big hope, and this is why I'm so happy to be at you know speaking at universities. And the hope is the young people who simply say no to the that kind of media, to that kind of politicians, and you know, sort of stand up for what they feel is right. Because I, my feeling is it's a crazy. It has become a bit crazy, and it needs people who say no more of that bullshit. You know, we need something else, something real, something right. we can trust mm -hmm. and something inward we can hope for, for a good future for all of us. And is that the general German perspective right now? Or do you feel that that's more your perspective with your affinity to the US? Or do you feel that m many people in Europe are looking sort of at us and, and seeing that? Well, many people tend to all over the world tend to jump to f very fast conclusions right. because they read something and they hear something and they think, oh, this is the case there and there. And that makes me sad because, mm -hmm. you know, there's such a vast amount of information out there on the internet and on Facebook and all of that so that we lose the ability to really judge what, you know, what's real. And reality is that the Germans love the Americans. I mean, we owe America so much and nobody has forgotten that. But many Germans today and many Europeans, they simply can't understand how a nation from the outside view changes so much and that so different values are displayed now. So, and nobody tells that, nobody gives them a reason. So if you don't give people a reason to understand, then they have a hard time and they distance themselves. And the same thing I see on the American side when I used to come visit a couple of years ago, everybody were like, oh, you're from Germany. You know, I have German roots. My grandfather served and was stationed in Heidelberg, whatever. And nowadays it's like, oh, you're from Germany? Really? You know, how is it there with all the refugees? And I say, yeah, we have refugees, but we're still, you know, we're, we're a safe place. And, and it's just so much really craziness out there in in the media about who's doing what and you know what the life in Germany or in America is like that I think the only chance how to sort of escape from that craziness is reaching out to real people talking to them sitting down with them having dinner being in a talk show and 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 just talking and being open to how is your life right now you know without a preconception of, okay, my God, oh my God, you know, they are like this and they are like that. Just be open and realize what's going on because many, many Europeans love America and we're very sad. We're actually scared to lose the leadership in the global uh, community. Right. 
Okay, well, that gives us a little bit of the political background, and and also you have a huge corporate background, but we want to get in and maybe tease a little bit into the conversation about Africa. So, can you lead us? We'll just we'll just spend a bit, uh, sort of teasing everyone, and then we'll have our first musical break. But can you tell everybody uh, you sort of had an aha moment and decided to change everything? Yes. Uh, I thought those aha moments just exist in American TV on the <laughs> Oprah show or so. But I actually had this aha moment um, on my life uh, in a little, little office in Dublin. Uh, I had gone there to uh, do the work for one of my books, uh, which was on female leadership. And I had interviewed a female leader, Caroline Casey, also just like me, a TED speaker, uh, about her life and how she got where she was and what she wanted to share with the next generation, kind of advice for life kind yeah. of thing. And she asked me a question that sort of created my aha moment. And the question was, what was your biggest dream as a child? What you, did you want to be? And I remember looking at Caroline and like having like no clue. No clue. Amazing. And I thought, this is not possible. I'm just 40 years old. I mean, I must, you know, I must have a, at least, you know, an idea of what it was. I had no clue. And I promised Caroline that I would try to remember. And if it felt good, and if it would bring uh, the memory, if it would bring a smile back onto my face, that I would try to do it. Wow. And, you know, Germans love to keep promises. So <laughs> I did remember on my way back from Dublin I saw me as a little girl in South Africa living with my parents, standing in the living room and saying, you know, with the pride that only children have, with the ultimate belief of this will happen, saying, when I grow up, I'm going to be a ranger in South Africa, Kruger Park. And I was 10 years old. That's beautiful. And when you had that moment, when you were returning from Dublin, were you, uh, what was that I mean, were you in a car? Were you in a hotel room? Was it a moment of stillness? Or did it just kind of hit you in the middle of another thought? Or No, it didn't hit me. And I really had to um, sort of direct my brain. Ah, okay. And I describe that in my book, which is unfortunately not available in English yet. But we've been begging, so. Yes. <laughs> so if any publisher listens to this, please consider it was a bestseller in Germany and in Austria. So maybe the wisdom of the elephants. And I describe it there where I say, I was looking out of the window in an airplane, you know, it's so beautiful because you see the clouds and everything is, you distance yourself from right. the world down there. And so I tried to remember the happiest time of my life, which was my childhood. And I knew immediately that was in South Africa. And um, so I just sort of dozed with open eyes into that time. And I saw our house in South Africa. And I'm a dog lover. I'm an animal lover anyways, but <laughs> I'm a dog lover. And I had a little cocker spaniel, Timba was her name. And I saw us being in that house. And then all of a sudden... Um, I describe it in the book as like a curtain is pulled away and the fog lifts. Oh, wow. And I could just see myself being in that house and, and the fog lifted even more. And I, I was standing in that living room in a short dress with a, with um, two, I don't know how it's called in English, the hair. Pintails. Pin Pony pink tail or ponytails, yeah, ponytails yeah. sticking away from my head. Yes. And saying, you know, with that ultimate belief, I will become a ranger in Kruger Park. 
not knowing that two years later we would return to Germany. I'd go back to school. I'd, you know, go to university. I'll start a corporate career. And having no idea about that, I believed that I would be in Rager. And in, inevitably, it did happen, which yes. we will come back Thank and goodness. talk about. I can't wait to talk about it more. Well, Kirsten uh, requested some African music today. And as you know, I love to get me into the world music zone. So I have um, a couple of uh, different examples. They're all quite different. This first piece that I'm going to play uh, is called Imagination. And the artist is Efat Mujuru. And yeah, you'll, you'll check it out. It features the instrument, the imbira, which is also called a thumb piano. And the album is Journey of the Spirit. Again, this is Imagination, KSUU Thunder 91.1. Gadi no, 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 gadi no
Okay, welcome back, KSUU Thunder 91.1. We are talking to KP, Kirsten Plebe, and uh, she's here from visiting from Germany and talking about her time where we, where we last left you on the show was that she had rediscovered her childhood love and desire to be a ranger in Africa. And you made that happen. I did. Uh, but I mean, you know, everybody has some deep desires, but we tend, as we grow up, we tend to believe that, you know, it's that we should be realistic and we should be good parents and good teachers and good lawyers and doctors and everything, and that there is no time to dream or to follow your passions. And I was the same. I thought, you know, all those things are just so important. I don't have time for for anything else. But um, the interesting thing is what I learned is once you decide to do something that really means something to you, you can make the time. And anything is possible. And at that point, nothing matters. I mean, I was so worried, you know, what my colleagues and my my um, people who were working for me would say when I said, you know, I'm leaving for Africa. I thought I was worried that they would think I'm crazy yeah, or that they would, you know, not do any more business with me. And this is often the case. We feel something, but then we worried what people would say. Absolutely. And I'm just so happy today that I I was not worried in that second. I just thought I have to do this and I want to do this and, and I will do it. And it was the happiest time of my life. So did any of those thoughts come in and then you push them away? Because I, I think that all the time. I mean, we get a little bit stuck on the hamster wheel and the responsibility of everything and who we are and who we're supposed to be and who we're defined by. Did you just gently but firmly push those thoughts away or were you just so laser focused on the the new thing how did that how what how was that part of it for you i think we all have a tendency to overthink situations not just about what other people say but you know how it would work out and if we have the money for it and all of this and in my because it was such an emotional magic place where mm-hmm. i went in my mind back to south africa from my childhood um there was no place for thinking it was just feeling it was I pure see. joy so i think if we um if you want to learn from that we could just say to ourselves you know what in inside of me gives me pure joy and and then if it's very pure you don't worry so much. You still worry. I worried afterwards after I booked my ranger ah. course. And, but th- that was much later. Yeah. And in the end, it, this leads the path. I do believe um, things that, you know, if you follow your destiny and or your passions, it, Bertise, you talked about her, Dr. Barry said, you know, if you f- follow your destiny, you will, you, sorry, if you follow your passion, you will collide with destiny. Right. And it's, and it's just so true. I found uh, many things I wanted to change in my life in South Africa, just because I left my comfort zone. I left everything behind, my family, my employees, my clients for three months and said, I just, it's just for me. It's just for me. And, and as I said, it was the best time of my life. And even my family and my clients, and they all benefited from that once I came back because I was happier. I was more efficient. I think I was even healthier. 
and much more appreciative of what life is because mm -hmm. this is what I've learned in Africa. We forget to appreciate what we have over here mm -hmm. and we forget to appreciate that we survive a day. In Africa, every day, you know, in the wild is about life or death. Right. And we push sickness and death away from us. We don't want to think about it. We don't want to hear it. You know, the elderly are put in nursing homes and, you know, we don't like to go to hospitals. And nature is not like that. You know, any second you can die. And so if you're, if you live in nature and if you see death happen in front of your eyes, um, you all of a sudden realize, oh my God, you know, it can happen not just to the animals every second, it can happen to all of us. So let's just say I thought that on my Jeep one morning where I saw that a zebra was chased by lions and finally killed. And following the attack, and I, you know, I, I don't, I'm not very well looking at blood and mm -hmm. death and all of this, but I, I mean, I had to, I was right there. And I thought, you know, what does that mean to me? If my life would just, you know, in, in two minutes, it's done. Mm -hmm. What would I regret? What would I have wished for that I did? Yeah. Uh, that I said to people that I haven't said yet. And I realized that there are so many other things besides my corporate job that I would regret that it, I decided to leave my corporate job in Africa. I decided yeah. that. And just to be able not to regret, you know, right. if you die, if it's time to go, it's time to go. Yeah. But if it's time to go, I don't want to regret. Yeah. I want to be thankful. Ah, oh, beautiful. What an incredible experience. I'd, I'd love to know what were those first few days like in <laughs> Africa? Because you, you know, it was a significant change and a, of course a significant trip and, um, it had a lot of emotional, um, weight perhaps to it and perhaps expectation. And so I'm curious, what were those first, what were those first moments like? Well, first of all, when I landed, I landed in Johannesburg and had to, to take a shuttle from there um, to the gate of where we worked uh, through the Drakensberge and, and just a beautiful nature. But when I landed in South Africa and I heard the, the, you know, the voices of the people there, they're so friendly and just so nice and i was just i was just the happiest person you can think of you know wow. i mean i was did not know what was in front of me i had no clue how hard it is to become a ranger because of course there's many many things you have to learn and i'm i'm talking about a 3 month course you have to learn for example to identify 150 just voices of birds you know and i knew one as a european that's a pigeon <laughs> and in south africa there are many different pigeons 150 so, that's so many by just, you know, starting to do it. Yeah. Uh, if we think about it, we think we can do it. But if you put yourself to it, uh, you can. And I'm, you know, I'm not super intelligent. I'm not the best bird person ever. But I managed to, to learn them and, and, and to finally get through the exams. But what's even more important is um, when I came into the gate, what, what, what you asked, what was my first impression? You know, you have to imagine, and I'm, it's a bit shaming to say that, but I was such a, you know, corporate person. You know, I traveled with three suitcases <laughs> and a purse. Oh. I mean, I took a purse to Africa. I mean, nobody would. You know, people would usually <laughs> check in with just with a backpack, uh, backpack, and a water yeah. thing included. But I, I walked in with two suitcases 
and the purse. Oh. And the ranger who loaded the things onto his jeep because he picked me up at the outside gate, he just gave me a look of, oh, who is this person? <laughs> look what the cat and dragged I felt, him. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I was the only woman, oh. which I hadn't known mm. before, on an all-male course. But, of course, it 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 just fed every single thought they had about women. You know, they travel with so much luggage and they have their handbag everywhere, so in their purse. So... It was really funny. I had to laugh about myself, Aww. thinking, oh, my God. But, you know, back in Europe, I could not decide what I should leave out of my suitcase. I just couldn't. I tried to uh, decrease the weight. Uh, and then I looked it all over and thought, no, I need this. I need that. I need that with those water bottles. I need those mosquito spray. And this. So I was an executive. And executives, in my point of view, always try to be prepared. Yeah. And I was prepared for everything in Africa. I mean, I even had a hairdryer in a camp where there's no electricity. <laughs> you know, I was I was prepared. I tried to prepare for everything. And in the end, I was prepared for nothing. Uh. Because in the end, it was just me and my five senses trying to get through this super, super um, intense course of experiencing nature on your feet uh, by foot or, you know, sleeping in a tent. Um and and learning to trace lions and detect cheetahs and and learn everything about elephants and all the beautiful beautiful animals and plants and even the climate in Africa and I just immersed myself in that experience and realized it's just such a magic out there mm. outside of our comfort zone we just have to move our booty and get there. Yeah. And this is what I took back. You know, we have to, and I try to inspire in my talks, corporate people and students all around the world by saying, the biggest learning is not in your comfort zone. The biggest learning is outside of your comfort zone. Because you learn things there where you don't, didn't know that you could do it beforehand. You know, you discover talents and strength that you didn't know you had. And I think for the challenges, especially for the young generation that are ahead of them, you're solving many fundamental issues in our society. If it's, you know, pollution in nature or democracy or whatever you name, there are just fundamental issues. And in order that they can be solved, they need strength, they need clarity, they need focus, they need to believe in their talents. And you don't find that strength when you just sit in your comfort zone. Exactly right. So it doesn't matter if you're outside of your comfort zone, if it's Africa or learning a new language or going someplace else or having a really complicated talk with your boss or with your parents, leaving your comfort zone is that what makes you strong. Mm -hmm. And strength is the basis for success. Oh, I love that. Well, you talk a lot about your comfort zone and, and, and getting out of your comfort zone and that being one of the major lessons. But there are other fantastic lessons that you shared with us today. And I'd love to get back to those, particularly talking about the senses and some of our priorities and finding quiet time, because I know that's something that's very important to you. So in, in honor of that, I have another song. And we were talking about this one, the title of it. This, this is an artist who I've played before on 
on the show, um, Seku Kieda. Uh, and so S-E-C-K-O-U and last name is K-E-I-T-A. And this is a, a, an artist who plays a traditional African instrument, but does it in, in a modern way. And, um, the title I thought was particularly wonderful considering some of our discussions. And that title is Listen to the Grass Grow. Um, we'll get into a little bit of that stillness and, and the importance of listening to the grass grow when we come back. But in the meantime, have a listen. This is the Apex Hour KSU Thunder 91.1.
Okay, well, welcome back to the Apex Hour, everyone. Um, I'm joined in the studio with KP, Kristen Pleve. Uh, welcome back. <laughs> and we were talking about um, the lessons that you learned from your time studying to be a ranger in Africa. And a couple of the things that I, really stuck out to me in the talk today were um, you, your talk about the importance of priorities and knowing yourself. Um, can you go just into that a little bit here today? Um, I just love that. Yes, you know, I came, when I went to Africa, I came from a very busy world, you know, between politics and TV and, and leading a, um, a corporation. So I had never a lot of time to um, rethink, you know, my priorities or I just had to-do lists. And I fulfilled them. I was a good girl, so to speak. <laughs> um, but I never had the idea of, you know, matching my priorities with, with my values. Yeah. And what I've learned in Africa is that this is just so important. For example, if you look at lions, they just have three priorities, just three. It's food, sleep, and sex. <laughs> that's, that's all. They right. mate, they eat, they sleep. Lions sleep 80% of the whole day, which is basically all day, except yeah. the night, because then a couple hours at night they hunt. And watching that, you know, and being a part of that natural circle of life for days and weeks on end, I realized that, that their priorities are in sync with their values. And so I started to rethink my own priorities. And I wondered if, you know, First of all, if I'm aware of my priorities. Second off, if they um, really match up well with my values. And all of a sudden, I realized that I have priorities um, that don't match with any of my values. But it was just because of, you know, my life was so busy and, I, and this had to be handled. So I think there's a big value in that, really. You know, when you have some quiet time to rethink your priorities and then look at your day and see, you know, did I really live a day? Did I use my 24 hours to match, first of all, my values and second of my priorities? So let's just say family is a big value to you, but it's not on your priority list either. And you have hardly any time with your family because you work so much. And even if you have time, you're tired or you're whatever, you're not in a good mood or you're just exhausted and you, your head is somewhere else, then of course, after some time, you get dissatisfied. And after right. some more time, uh, you get unhappy. And after some more time, uh, you might find de fight depression or a burnout or whatever. So I do think it's just very helpful to look mm -hmm. at that. And every time I saw lions just sleeping under a bush, I thought, oh my God, you know, when did I take the last healthy nap? Yeah. So that was for me very interesting. And then you were talking about the five senses. Um, you know, I don't know if, if, if our listeners are aware that everybody has a certain set of senses that they mainly act in. You know, we have, every human has five senses. But usually you, you, you have one dominant sense, mm -hmm. the visual sense or the auditive sense. And uh, so you act in those senses, meaning, you know, you have to describe it in visual terms. So that somebody who's mainly visual, you know, really connects with what you say. Mm -hmm. And um, 
if you're if you want to survive the wilderness, you need to use all five senses because your dominant sense, let's just say the visual, is simply not enough. For example, you might see that the grass has been stepped on, let's say by a lion, and he might and it's pretty fresh, so he's still in the area. But you also need your um your cognitive senses, for example, to see where the wind comes from, okay? Because mm -hmm. then you will understand where the lion, where you need to move so that the lion can't smell you. And you also need um, other senses like hearing to really, really focus on hearing, you know, to hear that little stick that the lion, you know, in the thickish, when his tail moves. Um, moves. So if you don't use five senses, really in a good way, you, probably you wouldn't survive for a long time in the wild. But the good thing is we can all learn, we can all adapt very fast, especially if you feel that your survival is dependent on that. Mm -hmm. So we can all do that, you know, in our, in, in our home, in our secure space and say, okay, well, you know, just close your eyes for a second and think, okay, what am I hearing? Or open your eyes and really see Focus on what am I seeing? You know, all the details, everything, the colors, the, sh the, the, the shapes, everything. We can train that. I once worked with an Olympic athlete. He's blind. He's a close friend of mine, Verena. And um, I told her, because she's an expert in not being able to see, I, I said, tell me what you see through your other four senses. And I've learned so much from her. Yeah. So using the five senses... I mean, in business, we always talk about excellence. And in life, in personal life, we talk about happiness. So in order to get there, we need the full experience. And we need to use our senses to make us the best person we can be or the best chef or the best corporate leader. And five, the five senses principle, I call it, is just so helpful for that. And you said you can learn it in your own home by just uh, taking some time to be more aware of it. But you can also bring it back into the boardroom, if you will, or back, back into the meeting. And I love the exercise that you talk about, about uh, just kind of opening up those senses at the beginning of a meeting. Can, can you talk about that a bit? Yes, when I came back from Africa, many things for me had changed. And since the since my company was always my somehow playground, I immediately implemented change there. And one thing, for example, I implemented was that I use the time of doing nothing, which I call the wisdom of the elephants, of just the you know mindfulness, just realizing what is every time before I enter a meeting room. And we had several meeting rooms in my company, and um, I I I got aware in Africa how I sort of senseless and mindless just walked in there, you know, with my head still already thinking about the meeting and then with notes in my hand or my smartphone. And one, I looked at the smartphone, the other looked already in the room, is everybody there already? And I realized that this is not using the five senses. So then I opened the door after I had come back from Africa and just sat down, took a deep breath and just realized what is. Mm. And this is what it's all about. You know, you don't have to go into a yoga studio and do, you, you can do that and it's absolutely helpful, but you don't have to. You can just focus on what is, focus on your breathing, see what you see, hear what you hear, feel what you feel, and you will be amazed on the, on the amount of information you get. For example, about your team, yeah. how they feel, what they're worried about, what they would like to hear from the boss, and you just feel it. 
And I've learned in Africa to trust my intuition. Once I open my senses for that, all the five doors, the intuition speaks to you. It just never spoke to me before because <laughs> I never, I mean, not never, but hardly ever. Right. In some business decisions it did, thank goodness. <laughs> but, you know, it speaks to you. Yeah. But we have to learn to open the channels. And right. we do that by doing nothing, you oh, know. I love that. Tone. I always say tone out to tone in. Oh, that's, a, that's great. Oh, what a great uh, motto for the day and for the week. Now, I'd love to know, um, I understand that, that you have some new topics on your horizon and that you are focusing on some, some new things and, and have some new studies that, that you've been learning and, and sharing with people. I'd love to hear more about those. Well, you know, I mean, life is about change and I learned in Africa to adapt to change and just in order to, um, to be part of life and not of some theory, which, which you think is life. So, um the change that I've seen in my immediate surrounding is that we that many of my friends and my colleagues and clients and family members get more and more insecure about what to eat and you know if they should do the vegetarian thing or the vegan or the paleo or you know some of my friends want to lose weight and they tried this diet and that diet and and I come from a political background. I know the impact of lobbyism onto, for example, food advertising. And I've seen the power of some industries, you know, onto our decision-making process. And all of a sudden I realized, you know, this is something we should start talking about uh, to help people not to promote a certain diet or to promote a certain lifestyle I think people are so bio-individual, and I've learned that at the Institute of Integrative Nutrition in New York, we all are bio-individuals, but we can take informed decisions about what we eat, what we drink, and how we spend our days. And I feel that because we lead such hectic and outside-focused lifestyles, we d we don't take the time or we don't want to or we we are insecure about the details that we need to know for example you know reading a food label understanding um i mean we all know that you know a soft drink has tons of sugar we know that but asking ourselves what does that mean for us and then you know take some statistical data that we all have about for example the standard american diet and understand how come that the diabetes numbers are just rocketing, that the cancer numbers are rocketing all across the world. I mean, in the developed nations, same thing in Europe. And we all know that there, that, that there is a relation to food, but we really don't know, okay, well, I don't want to become extremely in whatever direction today, but I want to make better decisions. I want to feel good about what I eat. And I also want to understand if I need energy what is real energy and not just a sugar flash that helps me for an hour? So I help students and corporate leaders to develop that sensitivity within their teams and to make better decisions. And I call that go green, go great. Because, of course, you know, vegetables, you will guess it, are a part of this. But I'm not saying, you know, all you should eat is vegetables. Mm -hmm. I say make food choices. Food choices are health choices in the end. We can never forget every cell in our body, every blood cell, every bone, every skin cell is produced from what we put into our bodies. So, you know, on many packages here in the U.S. and same thing in German supermarkets, it says no artificial colors or 
you know, organic or whatever, but they don't talk about the fat in it and, and the many, many bad amounts of sugar, etc. So, and I think just like in politics, if we know better, we can act better. And that's what this talk is about. Well, we can't wait to have you back. That's for sure. We're already planning it. I know that that will be a very meaningful and uh, it is the topic that's on everybody's mind. I mean, you you hear about it all the time. And I think it's really important for uh, for, for everyone, really. So, well, we have time for one more musical break. Um, and this song is um, called Mama, and it's performed by the Kenyan Boys Choir. And once again, you're listening to the Apex Hour, KSUU Thunder 91.1. Mama, oh, 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 oh,
Okay, welcome back, everyone. Welcome back to the Apex Hour. This is Lynn Vartan. I am in the in the studio with Kirsten Pleve from Germany, who is a best-selling author. Uh, the book is called Elephant Wisdom, and we are really pressuring her to get it translated or to get an audiobook version, perhaps. I, I hope both of those are a possibility. Um, one of the things we're, we're almost to the end of our hour, but I'd love to ask you about, you have a, a foundation that you started and is active uh, for girls' education. Can you tell us a little bit about that? It's a foundation. The name is Astraya. I will spell it. It's um, A-S-T-R-I. A-I-A dot org. Okay. Uh, it's the Greek goddess of justice. Ooh. And we picked that name because we feel and we saw um, that there are still so many uh, countries around the world where girls have uh, less opportunities, for example, to go to school or to have a university degree. or And there's just so much injustice around that topic that... Um, I teamed up with many female leaders from around the world. Bertice Berry is one of them. And, you know, who, this is why I don't like it that it's my, you know, when you say it's I my see. foundation, it's really um, a joint effort of women thinking this has to change. You know, we just stand up for something that's really important for us. And what we do is, first, of course, we generate funds for um, women's educational projects around the world. We have from Germany to Pakistan to um, South America to India to Oh my God, Africa, of course, um, many countries in Africa. And we help girls who have a dream and who want to become something but can't because of financial reasons, cultural reasons, to go there and, and, and get that. And we call that project Thousand Faces of Hope. We want to get 1,000 girls around the world, and we have 365 now. Wow. So this is what the foundation does. And we do events, and we do charity lunches, and... Anybody who has an idea, you know, is always welcome to write to me, um, call me, and any of our ambassadors like Bertice and just say, hey, I'd like to support that cause. What can we do? There's just so much creativity in people. That's fantastic. So if people want to get involved, let's just say the name one more time and spell it if you don't mind. Mm -hmm. It's um, Astraya and you spell it A-S-T-R-A-I-A dot org. Great. Thank you so much. That so, and sounds amazing. Yeah. It's, um, it gives you, um, also if you travel those countries where those uh, girls live, another sense of gratitude for mm -hmm. what, I mean, all the things we have from clean water to education to clothing to, you know, and I mean, I realize there's a lot of poverty and injustice, you know, and from Germany to America and, you know, many countries. But the question is not, you know, how much poverty or injustice is there the question is what can we do yeah. and what can each of us do and we, i chose that pattern and thank god you know with this great network of ambassadors a good friend of mine jutta kleinschmidt she was the first uh, female winner of the dakar race mm. ever and she's one of my ambassadors and also on the board so we just do what we can and we love it yeah sounds like it it sounds like a fascinating 
and fantastic group of people. Um, one thing I'd like to close with is that you have a statement that I have come to love that um, is really kind of an icon that, that wraps you up, uh, kind of encompasses your work and your spirit and uh, your passion. And can you tell us a little bit about that statement, uh, that motto of yours and what it means to you? I, I guess you're referring to Don't Settle, Go Wild. Yes. Um, you know, when I created that, it's just of sort of spoke from me. And I thought this is something um, that hopefully inspires others to not just sit back and, you know, do their job and be the best mom and be the best teacher, but, you know, to 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 get off their booty, get off the sofa, get out of the living room, get off out of their homes and do something that they feel is important. Um, and if it takes, you know, if it needs, if it, if you have to leave your comfort zone to do it, then then please do it. Because I think if you look at the state of our society, and I'm not just referring to America or Europe, I mean, just the state of our society, there's just so many things that need to be changed. If it's the pollution of nature, if it's injustice, if it's politics, there's just so many fields. So we can't, we just simply can't sit back and relax and say everything is well. There are many good things, but there are many things that still need to be changed. So, you know, when journalists in, in Europe um, talk to me about being a role model for others, I'm always like, no, no, no. You know, mm -hmm. I don't want to be a role model. I just want to uh, share experiences and inspire others. You know, I don't want to pass on a torch. I want people to light their own torch because mm -hmm. those torches are needed so urgently. And the pathway, I think, to that torches and that goes to the beginning of our talk is look in yourself, you know, look for your passion, look what really brings you joy, and then go for it. And as I tell my women around the world in executive coachings, learn to say no, because we have so many options and so many people where we think, oh, my God, we should be nice and we should be respectful and we should be polite and political correct. But I think... We have to learn to say no more often and, you know, take us, take out the time for us to be more creative, to be more uh, compassionate, to be more loving and more caring. And then this world will change. And that's all what we want, right? Yes. Thank you for that. Uh, our last question that I always like to ask is, um, is something just fun, you know, and that's what is turning you on this week. So, KP, what is turning you on this week? It could be anything, but what what's especially floating your boat this week? Well, you know, a big part of my job is travel, and I love traveling. But sometimes, of course, you have to leave your family behind. And I have a young dachshund at home. His name is Anton. He's seven months old. And already since days, I can't wait to see him at the airport when he, you know, he jumps up and down like a little rubber ball and <laughs> you have to catch him. And then he, you know, tries to climb over your head because it's just pure happiness. And to see that joy and happiness in little creatures, you know, it could be, you know, a baby or a puppy or a little lion. 
that just floats my heart with love. And then I think, oh, my God, I'm home. That's definitely a turn on. Well, thank you for that beautiful uh, visual and warmth of heart uh, story to close us off. Well, that's all the time we have today and um, this week. And this has been the Apex Hour. Thank you so much, Kirsten, for spending your time with us today. And thank you for traveling across the oceans to come visit Southern Utah University. We look so forward to the next time. Thank you very much. Thank you, Lynn. And thank you for having me. And to all the listeners I hope you really, really stay safe and very, very happy. Thank you. And we'll sign off for this week. This has been the Apex Hour. See you next time. Thanks so much for listening to the Apex Hour here on KSUU Thunder 91.1. Come find us again next Thursday at 3 p.m. for more conversations with the visiting guests at Southern Utah University and new music to discover for your next playlist. And in the meantime, we would love to see you at our events on campus. To find out more, check out suu.edu slash apex. Until next week, this is Lynn Vartan saying goodbye from the Apex Hour here on Thunder 91.1.